Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hello out there and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly Billinghurst and joined with me is my co-host, Serge Boudreaux. Serge. How are hey, Shelly, how's it going? Really excited to have this guest this week. So how about you introduce him? Yes, I am very excited because <laughs> TelVista is one of my favorite technologies. We are so pleased to have with us today, Scott Sessions, who is the CEO and co-founder of TelVista. Scott, welcome to the show. Shelly Serge, great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We are absolutely uh, dying to share with our audience all about TalVista, but I wanted to start with a little bit about Scott. Share with us your background and how did you end up in the talent acquisition technology world? Yeah, thank you for allowing me to do that. I've had the fortunate opportunity in my career to be focused on helping people. I started out in genealogy. I was with Ancestry.com for quite a stint where I was able to help connect people to their ancestors. Wow. I, I then went into digital forensics. Weird ancestry to forensics. I was able to help law enforcement protect little ones from predators. And that was incredibly fulfilling. And then from there, I came into the TA space. I was with a small company at the time called Higher View. They're a bit larger now, which really enabled people to tell their story over video with digital interviewing and really carved out that space. My stint there came to an end and I thought, what's the next thing that I can do? Mm -hmm. So I saw an opportunity that would provide people from all walks of life to get their next great job. And thus, TalVista was born. I don't know if you've ever listened to the show, but me and Shelly have really strong arguments uh, for and against video interviewing. Shelly is probably the biggest detractor of video interviewing. And I'm the opposite. I'm one of the uh, biggest fan of it. You came into the TA space, which I'm sure you found pretty interesting and maybe a little bit shocking of how behind we are with a lot of the modern technology and process and systems. I, I like to compare it to marketing and there's many examples of things that we're doing now that's been in marketing 20 years ago. But if we look at TelVista coming into this space, what is TelVista? What does it do? How can it help recruiters' lives to be a little bit easier? Yeah. So when we founded the company almost four years ago, my partner and I, we really searched for the right vision. And our vision and our tagline is seeing beyond the obvious. And you know what? Each time I say that, I have to chuckle because my kindergarten teacher rings in my ear that says, now be nice to everybody. Keep your hands to yourself. Everything we needed to know in life, we learned in kindergarten. But as adults, we become jaded and cynical and we start to only look at surface level. And that's where seeing beyond the obvious really rings true. We help our clients to be more consciously inclusive. Now, I say those words slowly and with purpose, as opposed to saying, hey, we help to mitigate bias or unconscious bias. Anytime you say, hey, Serge, we're here to fix your bias, a wall goes up. What are you talking about? I don't have bias. But the fact that you're a living, breathing human being and you have a brain means you've developed preferences in your life. Those equate to biases. 
So when we are consciously aware of those, we can do better. What is your business model? So we are engaged with companies that range in various sizes. They could be 50 employees to 15,000 employees. As a small startup, we're not going to be, oh, we're only going to talk to you folks and everyone else can go jump in a lake. Look, what we're doing is so important that we need to talk and evangelize about what it is that we do. Serge, you talked about being a little behind in technology. You know what? There are people at varying stages in their technology journey. Our yeah. job is to help them understand the importance of what it is that we can help them do so that they can be better with attracting more diverse talent for a more diverse workforce. It, it seems like the black box. Yeah. So there are three areas that we touch in. The recruiting funnel includes attraction, screening, and selection. And we touch in all three of those areas. In fact, we're the only platform that takes a holistic approach to helping companies be more diverse in their recruiting efforts. So with attraction, we help in research-based job description optimization. So I don't know if you know this, but there's language that we use that's been identified in research, according to the University of Waterloo in Canada, as well as in partnership with Duke University, that set out to identify, are there words that we use that, that cause women specifically to not apply? The result was identifying list after list of words. And when we identify them in our platform, we provide them research-based suggestions that can take the place of those words. Here's what happens. When a client of ours posts a description or an advert that has been optimized, they see about a 30% increase in diverse candidates applying and coming into the top of the funnel. Wow. It, it's made huge difference in their ultimate hiring outcomes. But if you want to hire for diversity, you have to start with attraction. And so when you bring them into the top of the funnel, that's the very first step. Other than my, I guess, detractor status, <laughs> so I've just been nominated detractor status on video <laughs> interviews. My next big beef is always about job ads and job postings. I want to save that for a bit. And I come back to something else you talked about, because bias and as soon as you say the word bias, people's guards go up. And so talk to us a bit more, if you could, about conscious inclusion and the importance of diversity in the workplace. Conscious inclusion. I know I've heard that term before, but talk more about that for us, would you? I have a short story. Is that okay? And, and then go. maybe even an example. Okay, go. Perfect. So three years ago, I was in Las Vegas at the large HR tech conference. Mm -hmm. And I was in the elevator and I had a brown shoe and a black shoe on. And a young lady put her hand on my shoulder and said, oh, babe, you've got two different colored shoes on. Now, I set that up because while I was on stage doing my presentation, I told that story. And people created a narrative in their own heads. Did he get dressed in the dark? Is he an idiot? Did he pack wrong? The fact of the matter was, it was on purpose. And the shoes were the identical model. One was brown, one was black. 
they protected my feet. They were comfortable to walk in. Did it really matter what color they were to do the job they were doing? And so that really got people thinking, oh, I went right to surface level. I didn't think about what was important about the job that they were doing, okay? So all of us have this inherent nature to create our own narratives. The minute we see something, someone, anything, we assign a story to it. Instead of pausing and waiting for our brain to catch up. So I, I have a little game. Would you mind if I shared my screen and and set this game up for your audience? Because I think this will really drive the point home about how our brain reacts in certain situations. Would that be I'm okay? I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Are you, Serge? I am. Yeah, absolutely. Shelly? Yes. I want you to say the color of the word that you see out loud, but don't read the word and go as quickly as you can. Go. Yellow, blue, orange. Stop. Don't read the word. Say the color oh, of the, the word. Oh, say the color. Oh my say gosh. Say the color okay. of the word. Oh my, this is hard. Yellow. No, I did it wrong again. So green, red, yellow, pink. Faster. Blue. Come on. Pink, yellow, orange. Hey, can you sign this form for me? <laughs> hey, what's the answer to this question? Okay. So the uh, point, we have been trained to read, at least in English. Yeah. Right to right, top to bottom. And so the minute we see words, even though we were just told instructions, say the color, don't read the word. Our brain goes into default mode and says yellow, blue, orange, yellow, blue, as opposed to saying green, red, yellow, pink, blue, pink, yellow, green, pink. We have to pause our brains for a moment so that we can be consciously aware of our situation and surroundings. So that when a female candidate comes in, we don't automatically ascribe in our brains, oh, she can't do the job. How do you know? You haven't even gone through the screening and interview process to really determine what skills, qualifications, and capabilities she has, or a person of color, the same exact thing. So Mm -hmm. these are inherent in us. And and Shelly, thank you for playing along with me. That's the exact thing that happens with everybody and your audience, as they do that too, they're going to maybe pause the video and go, wait a minute, I can do that. Oh, and they get tripped up halfway through. That's what our unconscious does in our hiring decisions and why it's so important to have technology that aids humanity in the recruiting process. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you. Thinking about the attraction process, the top of the funnel, how we say things, because currently the vast majority of job advertisements are the written word. I believe there is a wonderful trend happening in more visual job descriptions. Busy recruiter is just a fantastic idea that is coming through. We know that TikTok may take a run at it as well with something more visual. But right now, I'd say 99% of job postings are the written word. So talk to us a bit more about the research behind those words when they're written, because 30% increase in top of the funnel for diverse candidates. Can you give us an example? What sort of words or terms are repelling 
candidates that they don't even apply. Yeah. So at a very fundamental level, as you said, job descriptions are done in written word. In fact, most job descriptions are written targeting a 20 to 40 year old white male because that's who's writing those job descriptions. And so they will use terms like must possess strong aptitude in Microsoft tools, must have strong communication skills. And you'll see the word strong over and over again. Now, this is not to say that female candidates or people of color are not strong, but they often do not self-identify as I I don't know if I'd say I have strong, but I I have good, but they said strong. So therefore, I'm not going to apply. And that's what the research revealed. And so that research that was conducted by Waterloo and Duke focused strictly on female type words. Where Talvista differentiates, we continued on with the research to identify terms for other underrepresented groups people of color, people with disabilities, and we're continuing on with the research and that's proprietary to us. And so that's what really sets us apart so that top of funnel, when you're not using problematic terms, we we call them problematic and using more inclusive language, now you have the ability to attract a broad set of diverse candidates that can then go through the next stages of that uh, routine. Now. Interestingly, on visual, I'm all about visual, but think about how you start to talk about a job description. Are you going to revert to your old, typical standard language, or or are you going to be well-prepared to have those potentially problematic terms identified in your own speech to avoid using them? So that will present its own unique challenge. Mm -hmm. What was interesting, I ran all my job description at the last company I was running TA, and the ones that were written by males were actually way stronger on the female side. I think this was abnormal because there was an extra sensitivity that I had put in place. We got to make sure these are aligned. But tell me a little bit of the difference of how Vista can make a difference compared to the gender decoders. Yeah, so any tool that's out on the market, whether paid or free, originated from that original research that I talked about out of Waterloo and Duke that only focused on female problematic terms. Here's where we differentiate. We continued on with the research to further identify terms for African-Americans, Hispanics, Latinos, Asians, Canadian Indians, East Indian descent to identify terms that are problematic that deflect those individuals. No other tool has done that or has our proprietary research. So when I talk about a 30% increase, I'm talking holistically on underrepresented groups, not just female. We've got clients that are experiencing 25 to 30% female attraction and 30 to 35% people of color attraction. The gender decoder that you're talking about, Serge, I think it's great, but it's limited in its offering and is only going to help you with female attraction. One one other thing that we do, and then I'd love to to go on and talk about how we help screening, is as humans, we have a tendency to reverse engineer. So we do not segment, here's female problematic terms, here's people of color problematic terms. 
because of that tendency to reverse engineer and say, oh, I never want to hire another woman again. Therefore, I'm going to front load this description with female problematic terms. Because we don't say this is this is that, anything that's problematic, you have the opportunity to optimize. Remember at the very beginning, I said, we're a decision support platform. We don't just automatically do it. It's humanity and technology that comes together to make a better recruiting tool for diversity. Let's go into screening because one of the things that I'm interested in is blind resumes. Do they work? Is that something companies should do? So if you want to touch on that, then just go a little bit deeper on screening, how uh, Telvista can help in that way. Yeah, thank you. So back in the 70s, maybe late 60s, city philharmonics were primarily made up of male artists, whether they were cellists or bassoonists or timpani players, they were all males. And so I have no clue what all those three instruments are, actually. <laughs> Bassoon, cello, and the timpani drum. Um, I know the cello. Cello is the cello. one that I've heard. Okay, I'm learning new musical terms. Okay, so because the directors of those symphonies thought certainly there's some other talent, so they actually put a screen, a curtain on stage and invited auditioning artists to come on stage where the jurors could not see the artist. They could only hear their ability to play the violin or the flute or the French horn. That, and so just based on that, they made their decision. But in fact, they invited the artists to take their shoes off so that they couldn't hear the tap of a heel on the wood floor versus the shuffle of a loafer on a wood floor. And so they really wanted to make this an anonymous audition all about the skills and abilities of those artists. Because of that, symphonies and orchestras increased in diverse talent by 30, 40, 50% because of that blind screening. Now apply that to a resume. When a resume is reviewed by a hiring manager, typically, and research says it takes about six seconds, they look at a name at the top, they scroll down to the school they attended and go, nope, or, hey, they went to my alma mater, let's advance them forward. That's a problem because most of the time, highly skilled and qualified candidates get omitted from the process. So here's what we do. We're the only platform that we know of that will take the original resume. We digitize it, and then we redact, block out names email addresses, social media handles, anything that might contain that candidate's name. That happens automatically at a baseline. You okay. then have the option to redact out other things like a year that they worked at a company or attended school. That helps to avoid ageism. The name of a school helps to avoid school affinity bias. The name of a previous employer. There are companies, believe it or not, in Silicon Valley that will only hire someone if they worked at Google or Apple. How, that is, how biased is that? There are incredibly talented individuals who have worked at neither of those companies. So why base your decision solely on that? So there are a few other things that we provide for you to redact. That's step one. Step two is a uniform screening process. So now every candidate has the exact same type of information redacted, 
And now the hiring leader is reviewing in a standardized process resulting in what we call our objective review score. That score provides another data point with which to determine should we move a candidate forward or not based on their competencies, skills, and experience. Not, are they my nephew? Did they go to my school? And are they 24? Because I can see when they graduated from college. I just want to challenge one piece of that thinking, if I could, Scott, and that is about the resume itself, because you did say you're taking the original resume, right? Digitizing it. So that makes an assumption that somebody who may be brilliant at their job is also brilliant at writing about what they do. It concerns me because I know it's something that people really aren't very good at. Not to say that they've embellished, but I think if anything, women tend to underrepresent what they've done, maybe less quantify what they accomplished. It's based on your chances of getting advanced forward are really based on how well you can write a resume. Am I reading that wrong? No, I think you're absolutely right. But keep in mind, we started at the top of the funnel with attraction. Mm -hmm. We're now mid funnel. We're not at the bottom of the funnel making our final decision. We're still in the screen in screen out phase. And by at least having a resume, poorly written, well written, either way, there's going to be nuggets in there that the reviewer is going to focus on versus a name, a school, or the year, they're going to pull out some nuggets and make a determination. Am I going to advance this candidate forward? What if they don't see anything that relates to the job? And if the candidate doesn't have those things, they're not going to find them. And they should be screened out to not advance to the next step of the recruiting process. Reviewing a resume is not the hiring step. That is way before, that's upstream, but it at least gives that reviewer the opportunity to get a glimpse. And the reason I point out original resume, you get to see how a candidate thinks, how they prioritize their thoughts, what's most important to them, whether they can write well or not, they're usually going to say, hey, this is what I did best. Again, written well or not, it gives a nugget of information. And that's what recruiting is all about. You're picking up nuggets along the way so that at the end, the candidate that has those most nuggets is likely going to get the phone screen, the interview, or that next step. I completely agree with that. But then we get to the step where now we have a hiring manager or recruiter doing an interview and there's going to be automatic bias. We all have this unconscious bias, whoever we are, wherever we're coming from. So how can we fix that? What can we do to alleviate that challenge with the actual interviewing phase and the bias that comes into play? At some point, you're going to meet the candidates. Yeah. And you should. You, you need to meet the candidate. You're going to identify a gender. You're going to identify a race, ethnicity through that process, which is why structured interviewing has been around for a long time. The way we handle and help companies with structured interviewing, which is our third area of selection, is to make it a more consciously inclusive process. You're probably sick of hearing me say conscious inclusion over and over, but it's so important. So in the selection process, as that interviewer is conducting the interview, they need to have a guide that they're going to follow. 
And that's what we help our clients do is to create an interview guide that the interviewer will follow as opposed to, and, and some do, some still do, oh, I'm going to ignore this guide and I'm just going to ask the questions I want to ask. How are the, the playoffs this year? No, avoid that. Focus on the questions. So that's number one, Serge. The, the second issue is assigning questions to interviewers where they're going to know what the answer should be. Oftentimes in a standard structured interview without Talvista, you have four interviewers, 10 questions. All interviewers have to ask the same question to maintain structure. But one of those interviewers raises their hand and says, Serge, I don't know what the answer to number four should be. And your response says, hey, you got to do your best. We've got to maintain structure. And so in other words, that person's going to be very biased. Maybe they heard something they thought sounded good and they rate it high when it lacked substance altogether. So with Talvista, you can say, all right, Serge, you're, you're going to ask questions one, four, and eight. Shelly, you're going to ask questions two, six, and 10 because you know what those answers should be. So that now when you hear those answers, you're going to have a more objective rating on that candidate's response. And when you follow those questions, you now end up with an objective interview score that you do on your own. You're not talking with anybody or collaborating yet. That will come, but we advise don't talk to anybody until all the interviews are done to avoid group think so that each interviewer can have their own rating versus being prevailed upon by their boss. No, no, you, no, you got to say it this way. You got to rate it. No, get everyone's individual objective review so that now you can make the most objective decision. Okay. Wow. Scott, you just stepped on the biggest <laughs> pile of poo <laughs> because here's what I honestly, I hear so much. If you want to have a more inclusive hiring process, do a panel interview. I was the first one to stand up and say, that's the worst thing you can do. A panel interview where you've got five people, like the way you describe. So you say, okay, Serge, you've got questions, even number questions, I'll take odd. I don't know what the answers is, but let's just all decide what constitutes a good answer. And then you try and debrief. There is no way that you can go through an objective process because somebody's got the power in the room. Somebody on that panel has more power and it's an uneven playing field. And I will influence the decision because I have seniority or I am the director and you two are just simply managers. I didn't say don't do panel interviews because our process <laughs> functions quite well in panel interviews, but all the players have to be bought into the process. You're right. Somebody owns the power in the room but they have to respect the process if they truly want to adhere to their diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging initiatives of the company and refrain from influencing because each interviewer, even on a panel, will ask their questions. They'll do their own ratings. Once every rating is in, reveal those and now have a discussion about it. But each individual still had their voice and can influence the yes, no, or maybe on a candidate. So I totally get what you're saying, Shelly, but mm. it, it comes structure equates to discipline. And that discipline will help to achieve a great diversity outcome of qualified candidates, not quota driven diversity. 
I know what you're saying when it comes to panel interviews. The challenge that recruiters are feeling right now is how do you get multiple voices or multiple people to get a sense of how that candidate is when we're trying to speed up the hiring process just based on the demand that's in the market right now. So we know if we're putting candidates through five interviews, they're gone. Like talk about a horrible candidate experience. I still think there is a world for hiring panels. Maybe I I just hate that word panel, but hiring groups, maybe it's probably the right thing. And moving on to another subject, you are in an extremely noisy space. HR tech, talent acquisition tech, there's a ton of new players, there's a ton of money. What do you think is going to be the biggest disruptor in TA, HR tech in the next couple of years? Where do you see the market going? Yeah, there's a lot of activity and tools because every day there's a new problem that's revealed. And sometimes it's an old problem that keeps revealing itself over and over again. I think one of the biggest fallacies is there's a silver bullet. And so I think the biggest opportunity for TA leaders is to realize they're going to have to develop their ecosystem even though when ATS says, oh, I can do that, I can do that. Remember, they were developed to help track records and they're adding on additional tools just to get retention of those clients, but they don't do those really well and that's not their specialty. Now, they're gonna hate me for saying that, but truth is truth. What we do day in and day out, we work with a partner for integrations because integrations is key in a TA ecosystem uh, tech stack. And having those work really well and communicate together, that's why we use a partner because that's what they do day in and day out. We don't say, oh, we do integrations. We're expert at that. We're experts at diversity. So as I look forward in the diversity space for where we're headed, some of the disrupting things are to identify competencies in a job and then work those into the job description And then as resumes come through, there's some of this being done right now. I don't think very well as those resumes come through to bubble those candidates up, whether they wrote it well or not, Shelly, there's going to be some nuggets in there to bubble those candidates up for that next screen to make it more efficient. But Mm. if anybody ever comes and says, hey, we're going to eliminate the human from the process, run screaming. Do not subscribe to that. Recruiting is all about people. It's that people need tools. Show me your wrists. What are you wearing on your wrists? Do you have anything? No. Are you wearing? There, there you go. Surge, is that, does that count your steps? Yes. Does that remind you when to stand up? Why can't you do that on your own? Because we as humans need tools to help us do things better. So it's going to be, I see tools being refined and integrating into the human process, not eliminating the human process. You mentioned the ATS and as a recruitment practitioner, the ATS is the nerve center of everything I do. So is it part of Telvista's strategy to integrate in the marketplace of the different ATS, like Smart Recruiter, Jobvite, all those players? 100%. We are not an ATS. We don't aspire to be an ATS. There are great solutions out there. And those are the systems of record for those TA teams, which is why it's imperative we have the ability with our backend APIs to integrate with any and all ATSs. It's just a separate project. You know, we just have to scope it out and know where you want data to sit, 
what bi bidirectional data needs to happen, but it's imperative that happens. Yep. It's another thing to teach them how to use them. Do you also provide that sort of training? Yes. And if I can expound, so imp implementation and success is critical. And so our implementation process kicks off with the discovery call of the client's process. We need to understand how their process works today so that we can provide recommendations on where which portions of our tool fit in to what steps in the process. And then we monitor and we train and we provide messaging to help with that change management. In fact, we recommend that a client starts out with a nucleus team of cutting edge forward thinking individuals. Then we develop some data that's successful. That data is then communicated out to the next tier of people who may be a little more naysaying, but when they see the success that their peers are having, now they jump on and that's our method to work on change management with our clients. So we absolutely address that. If it's not gonna change, they're not gonna be successful and they're not gonna renew. We want them to renew to continue with their diversity initiative. I love that plan. So share with our audience, how do they find you? You can find us at www.talvista.com or email info at talvista.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. We'd love to talk to you. We want to learn about you and how we can help you in your objectives for more diverse workers. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. We'll include that information in the show notes. So thank you very much. I love the work you're doing. I think you're timing this so perfectly. I know it's a lot of work to get any sort of tech startup off the ground, but I'm a big fan. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.